Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Whether you're talking about your brand or your next big idea, being able to show a specific measure of success is going to help others invest in you and it's going to help you be persuasive. The question for the day, though, is where do you start? How do you begin thinking about a measure that's going to help you? And what is a great metric any rate? And how does we use all of that to create the process of selling yourself or your project? That's the focus for today. We're going to talk specifically about how do you define the value that you add. Now, my guest for today, I have two guests, Jack Phillips, who's the author of Show the Value of What You Do. He's an award-winning thought leader in the field of talent development, a coach, consultant, um, and teacher, and he works with all sorts of organizations on a proprietary methodology with over 50,000 professionals and managers in 70 countries um, working with this methodology. I should say, I think it's quite astounding, over 100 books that he has been involved in writing and all focused on the importance and the value of the work that you're doing. He's been recognized as a thought leader by the Association for Talent Development, by Thinkers 50, top coaches, by the International Society for Performance Improvement, by the Society for Human Resource Management, and Meeting Professionals International. And what's interesting about Jack is he's been an engineer, a trainer, a learning manager, an HR executive, a general manager, a president, and a college professor. And today he's serving as chair of the ROI Institute, a global firm, consulting firm. Now, joining Jack is his co-author, Patty Phillips, who is also a consultant and a researcher and co-author of Show the Value of What You Do. Her workshops and conference presentations are really inspirational for lots of people in aligning their work with the outcomes that matter. And when she's not consulting or writing or researching, Patty does a lot of work to support organizations through board service. She's vice chair of the board of trustees of the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. She serves on the board of the International Federation of Training and Development Organizations and on the board of the Conference Board Human Capital Advisory Committee and the Institute of Corporate Productivity People Analytics Board. And Patty has been recognized for her thought leadership by organizations like Association for Talent Development, by the Center for Talent Reporting, and by the Thinkers 50 Marshall Goldsmith Achievement Award. She has written and contributed to over 50 books describing how individuals can demonstrate the value of their work. So Patty and Jack, welcome to the show. I don't know how you get over 100 and over 50 books done, (laughs) but good for you. I'm impressed. Thank you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to be here. We do it one at a time. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one at a time. It's still a lot to get written. All right. I'm always curious uh, with what people were seeing. So my opening question, and Jack, I'll start with you, is what is it that you were seeing leaders not to do that caused you to want to write this book? Well, very frankly, they just don't get the results that they need or want sometimes for a particular project. Uh, whether it's a project, a program, a new systems, new ideas you suggested, uh, they they don't seem to manage to the end game, which is to get the results, maybe to the impact, maybe even ROI. 
they fall short. Sometimes just staying with activity level metrics that just says they're busy, they're doing things, so it must be successful. So I would say leaders need to step up to this level of accountability and require it, push it, support it, and nurture it in their organization. It's interesting you use the word accountability. So I was just with a group of executives today talking about how to create an accountable culture. And one of my arguments has been that you have to have some very specific goals, but with those specific metrics. So Patty, you want to add to this? Sure, because that's exactly where I was going, Wanda. One of the things they don't do is that they're not specific in what they're looking for is you know, the response is, I'll know it when I see it. Well, that's hard to communicate to your team when you're trying to get your team to drive outcomes because they may or may not know what you're seeing, right? So it's around the specificity. So they're not often not specific. They'll know the, they'll know the change. They'll know the impact when they see the change or the impact. And it's that specificity that's going to get us there. So really identifying the why, not just in vague terms. Really, what do you mean the why? Tell us what it is. When you say you want to improve productivity, what is telling you we're not being productive? Or you want to improve quality. What's telling you that we lack quality? So really getting to the specificity around the outcomes they're seeking or the change they're seeking. It's just like you know, creating a culture of accountability. What does that mean? How do you know we're not accountable? The question I got today is, well, people have their performance metrics. Isn't that good enough? And I said, how many times do you think that their idea of performance improvement and your idea of performance improvement actually align and you're seeing the same thing? Exactly. So, okay. I know both of you push the ROI, return on investment methodology. Why ROI as a place to start when we're thinking about metrics of success? So when we talk about ROI, you know, fundamentally, it is that mathematical uh, formula where you're looking at benefits compared to cost. And ROI gives us that ultimate metric, that ultimate measure of success, because it tells us in a simple metric, a simple number, whether or not we've invested wisely. Are we using the resources wisely? But it's, the process isn't just about that one metric. That tells us mathematically and economically, are we delivering? But then we also have to look across the board. You know, value comes throughout implementation of a process, whether it's a marketing strategy or innovation. Value is created. You don't, don't just get to ROI. You have to think about it up front. And so that's, that's why we say, let's start with why. What are the measures we're trying to get to? Make sure we have the right solution that's going to get us there, set, us, set ourselves up for success with those objectives, and then collect data throughout the process to see if we're making progress toward it. And then we conduct the analysis and then use the data in the end. So ROI, critical metric, it's one that all leaders know. If you're managing your resources, you know it. Um, it's a way to show mathematically the success in allocating resources, but it is just one measure that we work with. And Jackie, you may want to add to that. Yeah, it's some people are frightened with ROI or you think it may be unfair, but yet in their individual purchases, they often think, does this purchase given me enough value to cover my costs. It's just a fundamental question. Is it worth it? And some are, are challenged when they, and sometimes even think it's unfair when a funder says, can you show me the ROI on that? And they look at that as a mean thing, but really it's a fair thing to do. If you're putting money up for a project, why not 
uh, ask for something that delivers at least as much as I'm putting up, maybe more. More would be good. So we actually come down to two calculations. One is a benefit-cost ratio, and the other one is ROI expressed as a percentage. Uh, they're, very, they're the two most common ROI measurements on the planet. It's um, as I listen to you think talk about this. You know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time coaching people on is getting focused on the individual goals, the individual ways you spend your time, and are you spending your time on what really matters? This sounds to me like yet another way of saying all the time that I'm spending on this, am I getting the value out of it that I'd like to see or that the company would like to see? So we're tracking on the same way. All right. So I get why ROI, and I do agree that an awful lot of people think, oh, that's mean, especially when you work in something as ambiguous as a training and development function, where people say, how do I come up with a metric? I would argue you would. But you have a specific methodology. So how do you think about this ROI? Walk me through sort of the process. Jack, do you want to I'll I'll, I'll start with that. It's a process to get to the five levels. And let's think about the five levels first. Uh, It's the first level of outcome is reaction, how people are reacting to your project. Second is learning. What did they learn to do to make the project successful? Third is application. How do, what is it they going, what are they doing now as a result of this? Fourth is impact. And that's the consequence. That's something like productivity quality, cost, time, accidents, incidents, retention, those kinds of things. And then there's ROI sitting on top. That's the last level, ROI being the cost versus the benefits. And now to get to that, we want to start with the end in mind. And that's with a clear definition of impact. We we have decided that the end is impact. Just because we react, we've learned something, and we're doing something, that's not enough. It's impact. We do that because the funders, the supporters, the sponsors, that's what they want to see, impact. So we begin with that end in mind. That's step one. Start with why. That's the impact of what we're doing. Next, we want to make sure that we have the right solution, and that's how. Uh, uh, Making sure that what we're offering can actually change that impact measure. The third step is what is it we offering in terms of specific uh, measures. That's where your precision comes in with the detailed objectives. It's going to push it from reaction, learning, application, impact, and, of course, ROI if you're going there. Then we have a step called how much. That's the measurement. Measuring success for reaction, learning, application, and impact. And then what's it worth? Uh, That's the uh, analyzing the impact data, sorting out the effects of my project from other factors, converting the data to money, comparing it to the cost to calculate the ROI. The last step, the sixth step is, so what? What are you going to do with that? Here, in our mind, is probably the most important part. We're going to leverage that for success in the future. We're going to make it better if it's not working very well. If it's working, we're going to make it even better, but we're going to leverage that particularly to get more funding in the future or get this project funded, continuing, or to get more support, more commitment, uh, more relationships that we might need. So there you have it. Six steps. Start with why, how, what, how much, what's it worth, so what. 
five steps to get where you need to be. Okay. I think I've got this clear enough in my head. I'm not 100% certain, so let me check. I get your point that we want to start with the impact. What's the impact that we're trying to achieve? Because that's what's going to drive everything else. And that's going to give us our metric that we're looking at success. But then as we say how, meaning do we have the right solution to that? So step number two, I'm looking at how to get the right reactions, the learning, the application, and ultimately the impact. Am I asking that about all four levels? Yeah. Um, Let me see if I follow that. Um, Is this a step three we're at on what? Yeah, I I think I've gotten confused. So we start with the impact you want to have, and then we ask why we're trying to do that, and then we ask what's the right solution, how are we going to go about doing it, and then how much, that's our measure, and then what's that worth, and then the so what. Yeah. In between how and how much, we've got what, and that's what is what is it we're delivering in terms of specifics, mm-hmm. and that gets to each level. How, what reaction do we want? What learning do we need? What action do we need? What impact do we need? Very specific with, with objectives set for that. And the objectives are get, then given to any anyone on our team who can help get to that impact using those clear objectives with support and tools, enablement, uh, encouragement, whatever they can do to get there. So the what is was a missing part there. And then it's how much. So now we start collecting data. How much is connected uh, at each level? How much reaction do we have? How much learning do we have? How much application do we have? How much impact? And then then from that, we'll calculate the ROI. That takes us to the next level. What's it worth? And that gets us to the ROI with the data analysis. And then so what? Okay. And then that's where we get the ROI. All yeah. right. I get it. I get it. So if I let me see if I can get this straight now. I've got four levels of analysis that I want to be looking at. I want to look at the reactions I'm looking for from people. I want the learning that I'm getting from people. I want the actions, the application, the doing that I'm getting from people. And I want the ultimate impact and consequences. And those allow me to set up the calculations and ROI. So yes. now to do that, I'm starting with why are we doing it? How are we doing it? What's the solution that we're offering? both on reaction and impact and learning and application and how much that's the data. What numbers are we collecting on all four of those reaction, learning, application, and impact? What's it worth? That's how we get to our ROI calculation. And then finally we go to, so what? And then, so what is, how do we leverage those results to get good, good things? I think that's the key thing. How do you help your career? How do you help the organization? How do you get more support? How do you get more funding? And these days, the number one reason people come to this process is to to get the money they need, to keep the money they need, or to get more money. That's yeah. the funding. And and that model is outlined on page 23 of our book, just okay. for reference there. Okay. In a simple example, Wanda, if I have time, yes, do you have time? Simple example. So let's say you work in an organization and you have lots of absenteeism, right? So absenteeism is high. You know, it costs, I don't know, thousand dollars a day for someone to be absent okay specifically what so that's the value so that's the problem so what are we talking about we're talking about unexpected absences that nine percent it should be about four percent you sort out okay what's causing people not to show up well one thing that we find in this one case study is that the supervisors were not having a, a good conversation with their employees when they weren't performing rather than have a coaching conversation with them they were beating them up 
and they were like, you're just not doing the job, but they weren't really, they weren't supervising, they weren't coaching. And so people just got done, they were done, and they just wouldn't show up for work. And so they came down to simple solution, crucial conversations. Well, what are you going to learn? Let's learn how to have a conversation with people to drive their performance in the direction they need to drive, to coach them, to see what their problem is, not only so that they perform better, but they show up for work. They don't get frustrated with us. So it started with that why. We have an absenteeism problem, and it's costing us a lot of money. Why is this happening? It's because our supervisors are beating up on the employees and not really coaching and counseling them. What are some solutions? And so we think through it could be big solution, it could be simple solution. A lot of times the simplest solutions drive the biggest results if you have the right people and the right solution at the right time for the right reason. And then you think through, okay, what do people need to learn to make this process or this program work so we can drive those measures? And then you set it up with those objectives because the objectives are telling you what those key results are going to be. They're telling you what you're going for if you have good objectives around the process or the program. And then you just collect data throughout the way. And today with technology, we have so many ways that we can collect those data. It's not like it was when we first started where it all had to be in-person interviews and focus groups or you know paper questionnaires. Now you've got polling on Zoom. You can collect data. You have data collection tools embedded in your Microsoft. I mean, there's so many ways we can get to the data, but we need those data from those different perspectives at the different levels so that we can see if it's working. Because what we know from the research is if people aren't bought in, that reaction data, it's not about are they enjoying the experience, it's about that to some extent, but in as much as that enjoyment in the experience is making whatever the work is relevant to them. If they're not bought in to what you're asking them to do, they're not going to do it. And then from a learning perspective, if they don't know how to do it, they can't do it. So those first two levels, reaction and learning, people have to be willing and able to do what you want them to do. Because if they're not and if they can't, it's not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you cannot get impact and ROI, not from that work that you're doing. So I don't know if that example made sense. And I'm not sure if your audience would be interested, but happy to give it to you. If so, we just finished a project with Udemy Business. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure the audience knows Udemy, the learning platform, but it's Udemy Business. We just finished up a project in partnership with Udemy Business and the conference board. And it's a study on how they approach this process for a leadership development program. And it was leaders of teams who are working in a hybrid environment. So their teams are working remotely. It's a good demonstration of how we can, especially good demonstration of how we can build that data collection in throughout. So if you think that's something the audience is interested in, it is a report that's open to the public and we can share it with you. Great. I have a number, I'm sure people might be interested in that. If they wanted to see that, Patty, how should they reach out to find you? They can email me at patty, P-A-T-T-I, at roiinstitute.net. Okay. So if you'd like to see that report and some of that data, patty at roiinstitute.net. Um, what I'm fascinated by in this process is it's way more detailed than I think anybody would have guessed it need to be. So I like this notion that I'm looking at four levels of um, activity. So I'm looking at impact. Uh, well, impact, obviously, we know we want, but I'm also looking at reaction. Are people bought in? Are they having a positive 
reaction to what we're trying to do. We're looking at what are they doing as a result. We're looking at what they need to learn as a result. And then we're looking at impact. Those four levels strike me as fairly unique in thinking about where's the value coming from, or more importantly, what do I have to do in order to drive the value that we're ultimately looking for? So any rate, and then I get your point of, so what are the objectives we're looking for? What are the solutions we're looking for? What are the metrics going to collect for that? And how is that going to add value? And then what are the consequences of it as well? Though That whole flow through process makes a ton of sense to me. I just think a lot of places we're falling short of being articulate about the four levels of activity on objectives. So Patty, you're agreeing with that. I do. Yes. Um- so we have to keep reminding people to keep it simple, but just think ROI. You're always thinking, how do I want people to react? What I want, want them to learn? What I want them to do? And what impact do I need out of this? I want to tell you a quick other story. I'm going to, I'll okay. be very quick. This is this is someone in the marketing department wanted to show the value of a digital ad. Uh, grabbed this process and started doing that. And, and when you have a digital ad, and you want someone to click on that ad to, to see what's the substance there and then do something else. It might maybe use a coupon or order the item, do something. And so uh, in running the ad, they had to collect some data. It's, it's just as you're suggesting here, you know, there's a lot of data here. Do we need here? He was thinking about what in terms of reaction, I want them to see the, the that the ad was helpful and compelling. And and I, for for learning, it's really the takeaways. Uh, I want them to know our pricing because that's our 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 big advantage. And I want to know the uh, quality of our product because another that's two things. It may it could be others like my company, the market share, and marketplace, and so forth. Uh, but just those two things, and then application. They had in the records already. If they want them to click on something, go check something, they see that in the record. So what they had to do is get a few people to give them those feedback on reaction and learning. And you do that because if they don't see it that way, if they don't take away from the ad what you want them to, more than likely it all fails there. But the end of the system is the other detail of what they do as a click on the ad and the impact it had. Now, the analysis is going to make it credible by sorting out the effects of that digital ad from other influences. That's what really makes this so credible, because we don't just assume that someone clicked on an ad and eventually purchased that that ad caused all of that decision to purchase. It could be they were planning to anyway, and this kind of motivated them to do it now. So we're going to sort out the effects of that decision by asking the simple question, to, to what extent did your decision to buy was influenced by this ad. So that really makes it credible. We work with credibility here in a big way because we want our end results to be so credible that a CFO is going to buy into it and support it. I can think about a number of marketing groups that I have been advising lately, CMOs and other marketing groups that could do well with this as they're trying to sell the business has limited resources to put in marketing and boy, could they use this process. Yes. And I, I mean, I'm now I'm getting what is it that's so unique about this? I think it's your four levels and I'm going to say them again. What reaction do you want people to have to the ad or to the activity that you've done? What do you want people to learn as a result? 
of the something you've done? What do you want them to do as a result of it? And what kind of impact are you seeing? When you've specified those four levels and then attached a metric to well, will we know if we're getting those reactions, learnings, actions, and so forth? Now I can really show the impact of this ad or this activity as a result. I can see why that makes a big difference. Yes. Okay. You sound like a member of our team already. Here. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You know, you say you want to keep it simple, and I agree with you, but at the same time, you have many levels of complexity in this model and sort of just figuring out how they all flow together. And I think what people are missing is not looking at all four levels and not being specific about all four levels as you started through. All right. I think this is um, a good place to take a quick break if we can. So my guests today are Jack and Patty Phillips. The book that we're talking about is Show the Value of What You Do. And I've said this a bunch of times, but I think what's really powerful of this model is thinking about four levels of reaction. I have what reaction you want your group project audience, ad, stakeholder to have? What learning do you want people to have? What application or action do you want people to have? And then number four, what impact do you want that to have? From there, I'm going to design um, a methodology of why that matters, how that matters, how we're going to measure that that matters. And then I can begin to collect the data accordingly. That's going to allow me to show the ultimate impact, the ROI, and lastly, I've got to talk about the consequences. So what? What am I going to do with this to leverage to the next thing that we're going to do? And that's the basic process. And boy, you start to realize why it is we're so misaligned on our goals and on our accountability at the end of the day. All right. When I come back, I want to talk about applying this to some other things like how do you sell an idea or how do you sell yourself? So Patty and Jack Phillips, um, show the value of what you do. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Jack Phillips and Patty Phillips. We're talking about one of their many, many books called Show the Value of What You Do. Both of them work at the ROI Institute, um, Return on Investment. And the passion here is helping people be crystal clear about the specific objectives you're looking for as a leader, as a project head, as a division so that you can begin to show the impact of what you're doing and put some metrics and financial numbers around why this is worth your time and the company's time and money. And I have to, I'm convinced in listening to this process that for sure we're not thinking deeply enough about how to show the specific metrics. Now, we were just talking about an example about marketing. I think one of the running questions for marketing is how do you actually show the value of the marketing activities that you're doing? So among the many books... There is a very specific book for marketing. So if you were interested in it, I recommend you check out the book, Measuring the ROI of Marketing, again, by Jack and Patty Phillips. Um, and if you want more about that, you can reach Patty at patty at roiinstitute.com. And I presume, Jack, you're at the same place, jack at roiinstitute.com. It's actually .net. .net, excuse me, .net. .net. That's right, .net, yes. Okay, my mistake. Should have written that one down. Then I would have written it. <laughs> okay. All right, roiinstitute.net. Okay, I want to take this in a slightly different direction. I want to talk about the methodology and how else you use this framework. Now, I've done all these calculations. I've thought about all these objectives. I've looked at the four levels, the reaction, the learning, the application, and the impact levels. I've got my numbers. I've got my data. So how do I now use that thinking to pitch an idea and get my stakeholders to buy into that idea. So that's I think, a good, go, go ahead, ahead, Patty. No, no, go ahead. Uh, it's that's we that's forecasting in advance, and that that's an important issue. And we think that's just a, a great way to use this. So instead of waiting till your project is over and showing the value to someone, that we forecast it up front before we start the project. It's a great way to see how well you think the project's going to work and maybe sell it to someone and see the value. In that case, we're anticipating what reaction we'll have. We're anticipating what they will learn and we're anticipating what they will do. And then we're going to estimate what impact will come from this process. Here, it's important to have uh, experts um, in two categories. Someone who understands our project or solution, that's probably us, and second, someone who understands the place where it will be used, the marketplace or the dynamics of the workplace where it will be used. That may be us, too. We just want those two perspectives to make that estimate. Then we, we use our methodology to put some um, rules around the estimates and how we analyze that. But you're basically forecasting the impact. And when you do that, you can convert that to money, of course. Uh, it's a measure that's in our system. And you can... Uh, easily estimate the cost, then you're forecasting ROI. So our forecast would include the what impact will drive the ROI 
and some intangibles. And it's good to talk about those for a minute. There's a set of measures that we cannot convert to data, uh, I mean, convert to money credibly with a reasonable amount of time. And those we call the intangibles. It's things like maybe teamwork and collaboration, uh, image, stress, respect, you know, some things that, that we cannot get to the money easily. So we'll leave them as intangible. That's still important. In fact, a lot of projects are implemented based on uh, those kinds of measures, like happiness, for example, making people happy. We see a lot of projects aimed at that. We've actually put monetary value on happiness, but most in most places, you don't have that. So you forecast it. So by forecasting it, you can say, if the ROI is positive, you say, look, you're going to get more money out of this than you put into that. That helps make that decision a little better. It has to be credible, of course. And it also might tell you that your idea is not a good idea when you go through this analysis. And that's good as well, because you don't want to go down that path. So it's a good exercise to go through. We see more and more interest in forecasting, selling your idea to try to get it accepted. And pushing those those all of those levels of data is a good way for someone to visualize what's going to happen and see the end game. And I'm sorry, I was just going to say, you know, in preparation for the, the pitch or the sale. I mean, in the forecasting is, a, is, is, as Jack says, something that is really valuable. But it all starts with, you know, to whom are you pitching? To whom are you selling? And what is their problem or the opportunity they face? And what about you or your solution or your innovation is it that's going to drive that, address that problem or help them leverage that opportunity? And then what do they need to know to be clear that this solution is the right solution that's going to move the needle on this problem or this opportunity? And I think that those first three steps in the model, I mean, there's only six steps, the first three are so important. But and so a lot of people will say, "Was well, you know, it's a lot of work." Well, of course it's a lot of work. But if you're pitching an idea or even selling yourself, we've got to be clear on what their problem is and why we're the right solution for it. And then, of course, as Jack said, running that forecast helps us internally, but also is a great part of the pitch. It's like here's the potential that you could see by investing in this solution, recognizing that it is a forecast is a forecast. It's clearly just the potential. But here's the potential you have in hiring me or buying our product or our service. I can see this as also a way of running a, a persuasion conversation. Yes. So we start with saying, look, we recognize that X is a problem. Um, and we would solve this problem if we could have people react in this way, learn this, do this differently, and it would have this kind of an impact. And already we're down to a set of objectives that are a whole lot better than just solving the problem. And now your stakeholders, whoever's listening, can say, oh, wait, if we achieve those objectives, I would be very happy about the problem. Or no, those aren't the right objectives to actually solve the problem in my view. So at least you know that we're on the same starting point. And then you can say, well, you know, we believe this solution is the right solution. And let's show you how we think that will generate results in the learn, the apply, the impact, the reaction, all of those. And I just see walking through that conversation in a very logical way that would be a persuasive communication with your audience in a clear, clear, concise way. 
we'd be on the same page. We'd agree. We did not agree, but at least we'd be going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's fundamentals of argument. Uh, The argument has to be compelling, has to be presented in a logical way, and it has to be presented so that the recipient, the audience, views it as credible. And that's what it all gives you. You want that compelling story or the compelling pitch presented logically so people can, people like logic, even if they're not mathematicians, they like logic because you can follow the flow. But then also you have to have some credibility in that communication too. How'd you come up with this? And so that's what the process actually gives them. So, so we had a, a, we published a case study on on work at home. This is a pre-pandemic. It's where an insurance company was deciding to let two of its job groups, claims processors and claims examiners, work at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the CEO thought that's a great way for us to help the environment. But the CFO says, wait a minute, this is a huge change in our policy. Um, we got to make sure this is going to deliver a positive ROI because if it doesn't work, we can't we can't get this to we can't reverse this because if we let people go home and work at home and and then come back and say, you know, this is not working. I'm sorry. We have to come back to work. They won't do it. So the forecast was uh, needed for them to see this. So in, in doing that study, you had an ROI objective of 25% saying we want at least this much or you shouldn't really go into this. But our forecast was actually 165%. But the actual which came later after the implementation, your actual almost always follows. You got to you got to do that to prove it. Was actually two hundred ninety nine percent, and that's the way you want to see it. You got an objective that's a minimum. You got a forecast that's what we think we do can do credibly, and then you got your actual that you deliver when you follow up. So that's an interesting case study. We'd be happy to send that to anyone who would like to see that because there's so many issues still revolving around. What's my work arrangement these days? Yeah. That, that has a lot of insight into that. Okay. So Jack at ROIinstitute.net or Patty, P-A-T-T-I at ROIinstitute.net. We'll be glad to send you that. They'll be glad to send you that case study as well. I think that's a fascinating yeah. one. All right. Um, I'm still intrigued by how much this forces me to think in much greater depth about what I'm trying to do, how I'm trying to do it, and the kinds of impact that it's going to have on multiple levels. All right, let's shift this a bit. Suppose that I wanted to use your methodology to say why I'm ready for a promotion or why I deserve a bigger raise. Well, how would that work? How would you go about approaching that one? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start that one, Patty. Um, so we just think about the definition of, of work success uh, and how we it's evolved. First, we had, I want someone with a good attitude that we, that's, that's how they react. That's reaction. I want, or then it, it morphed into, I want people with great credentials. You know, they have degrees, they have certifications, they have experience. That's learning. They come with capability. And then, most of our evaluation systems morph to, I want to make sure people actually are doing things. They're behaving the right way. They're following through. But now the performance appraisal systems is looking at work being defined as a key performance indicator, KPI, a measure. Mm-hmm. So we want those measures to be clearly defined. It's easily for some, like a sales rep would want sales, 
Uh, but it's really you've got performance measures for anyone because output, quality, cost, and time is a key measurement of any work that we have. And so the key is to get back to your question. The key is to show my manager that I'm making tremendous progress and success and accomplishments at impact level. I got there because I follow through and I do a lot of great things. And I, what helped me get there was what my experience and capability and background. And of course, I have a great um, attitude. See, they build on each other. So you can define work in these levels as well. We're not at the point where you we have can easily show the ROI of someone's job, but we can and we have. And it's amazing to us that we get this request every now and then and says, look, I need to hire a new person. But my manager says, show me the ROI of hiring this person. Well, that takes it to the ultimate level. Uh, we can do that. But that's that's frightening to some to think about, are you providing more value than you're actually being paid? Um, <laughs> that's the ultimate accountability that we're getting to. But at least work on the impact. If I can show impact clearly what I've accomplished Hey, that's a great case for a good performance review and a great case for a promotion and salary increase. But it, it can't be on, hey, I'm always there. Well, that's not enough. I'm, I'm always responding. Well, that's not enough. You've got to have those impacts that go along with the job. Right. And it, but, those, it, but those things are a great starting point, right? Because there's this chain of impact that occurs. So the elevator speech for promotion is, I'm committed to this organization because I never miss work. I'm always here. I've been working here for so many years. I've also built skill as I've gone through. My capability has increased. I can contribute more. And in fact, I have contributed more because I've done these things and talking about the work they've done. But more important than the activity and the work that I've done, look at these measures I've helped improve. I've reduced the, the amount of time it takes to process an, an invoice or I've reduced the uh the errors made here. So working that chain of impact, letting it become the logic behind the elevator speech. And then they clearly know you're committed, you're growing, you're doing things, making things happen. But more than that, you're driving the measures that matter to us. The, um, I coach way too many people who want the promotion, who think they're ready for the promotion and they think they deserve the promotion. And the reason they think they deserve the promotion is because they are performing kind of at their current level, meaning they're meeting some general objectives. And what I think they're focusing on is not the attitude, but how much I've learned. And it's not the bigger story about all the impact I could have. It's I'm doing this particular job that I was assigned for reasonably. And they're not getting that broader impact that I think you're talking about as well as the attitude and the um, the things that you're doing, specifically in the impact that you're having. You want to react to that? Either yes. Way? You see, it, if we have the application, which is actually doing things, without the impact, it's just being busy. And we all know people like that who are busy, but don't seem to accomplish much. Uh, we don't want to be in that category. Doing things is not enough. Activities is not enough. Impact, consequence of that is, is what we have to have. We often talked about this issue of making a difference. We've helped some organizations define make a difference if, if you want people to make a difference. And it comes down to level three and level four in our system. you got to be doing things, but have that consequence tied to it. Otherwise, you're just busy. 
So we got to make sure people understand why we're doing this. It's not just to, to do it and check the box. We're doing it. There's a consequence to that, and that's what really adds value to the organization. Patty, I know you like to add to this. Well, I do. I, I think that it's an interesting um, question because it's so true, right? We hear it. You know, we hear it. We've all worked in corporate. We we know how that process works. And and while they're trying to sort out, you know, I've been here. I've done the job. Therefore, I need a promotion. People are paid to do the job. That's why you are here. But but we're promoted because we're adding value beyond just the job. And I think changing that mindset is what in addition doesn't mean overtime. That's not what what we're looking for. Just because you work longer hours does not mean you're contributing more, but have something that says you are contributing to the measures that matter, whether it's to this department or to the organization at large. But then the bigger question is, you know, what does that performance management process work? And so I always go back to that too. It's like, how how were you set up at the beginning? And I think that's another podcast and webcast, but that's an area that we're that we're working in because we've got us, especially the way of we're working today. People are not in the office. I, I can't see my employees and know they're working. We are, it's faith, right? It's faith-based right now. And so what we're hearing more of is we need a way to help manage and assess performance in a very objective way, much more so than in the past. And so we're getting more and more involved in those conversations is how can we use this process? And it gets down to specifics accomplishment, not activity. There's, um, it strikes me also on this equation, at least this is what I hear from a lot of people that I'm coaching who want that promotion and aren't getting it, is they may believe they're having impact, but they're not looking at the cost of the impact they're having. So the cost of you know their salary, are they using their time in a right way? Are they using a bunch of other people's time in order to get this? I mean, there's a whole bunch of costs that go into delivering a particular result. And this is where the ultimate ROI calculation, even if it feels bad to apply it to me and my work, would help you say, look how much more I'm adding here than you might have realized. Right. So, yeah, exactly. so it goes back to you're having impact, but is it the impact on the right thing? Right. Impact and on the, the biggest problems. And, and the ROI. Yeah. I'm sorry. And the ROI shows you that because if you spend too much time and money getting there, that means your ROI for that impact is negative. So thinking ROI helps us think about is it worth it at the end? Yeah, I'm not putting my time in the right places. It's reminding me of a case study from several years ago where I have two candidates both wanting the next promotion to be the manager, basically, of the whole group. One gets it and one doesn't. All right, the one who doesn't get it has deeper knowledge for sure. Everybody would agree, no question so whatsoever, so much deeper expertise. But that person also chews up a ton of resources, a ton of resources of the team worrying about the perfection and the precision, a ton of resources of the manager's time, fretting about does it go or does it not go? Am I doing the right things? Have I got it perfectly? I mean, just choose up a lot of resources. So the get through to having an impact, while one would make a more perfect solution, perhaps, the other one gives a lot more impact because it chews up less resources to get there. And it's the other that got the job for exactly that reason. That's that's ROI thinking right there. Right, yeah. 
And I don't think we apply to that. We often, I hear people say all the time, um, I'm having much more sales than anybody else in my group. Well, but you got to look at the impact of those sales, the size of those sales, the resources you use to get to those sales, a whole bunch of other pieces, not to just the dollar numbers that you're returning. And I think that's what people are missing. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, you know, if you're selling loss leaders, what is that doing for us? Right. So if you're selling, yeah. So yeah, it's not just yeah. the sale, it's the value of the sale. Right. And is that the client, are you selling to a client that's going to generate a whole lot more business over the long run? Or are you selling much more niche strategy and how many resources are you using to get there? All right. I'm going to change the gears on us again, because Jack, I want to talk about something I know you're particularly fond of and ask one of my favorite questions. So what do you think keeps people or what make, keeps people afraid of getting themselves out of the comfort zone? Why do you think people are avoiding this? Um, well, it's fear of the outcome is the big problem. Um, to to show the value of a project you're working on, all right down to ROI, takes it to get you out. You have to get out of your comfort zone because um, that number may be negative, uh, and you don't want to put a negative ROI in front of your boss. At least that's the thinking. And so, but what we suggest is first, if it's not working, there's probably something out of your control, not causing it to work. So you need to know that anyway to correct it going forward, maybe. Mm-hmm. Plus, the way to prevent that in the beginning is to start with the end in mind. Uh, most of the disappointing sto- uh, studies that we see with very negative ROIs ha- are caused by the fact that it never was aligned to the business to begin with. So starting with the end in mind helps us get there. And second, by having those very clear objectives that, that gets everyone focused and tuned in and helping and supporting everybody to get to that number that we need. So we got we got to get rid of the fear of the outcome, keeping people from going down this path, which means they got to get out of the comfort zone. The comfort zone is, look, I'm not putting data out there uh, because it could be negative and I'd be in trouble. I'm, I'm in a fog and I want to stay in a fog. I don't want to, a clear of day coming through here. Right. And I don't want to find that what I'm spending my time on might not have the value I want it to do. And I want to keep doing what I already know how to do, I think is part of it. Patty, you want to add to this? What do you think keeps people out of their comfort zone? Well, it goes back to culture. So we want to drive these cultures of accountability and we do, but part of the culture of accountability too is leveraging the data. And that means it's not, if they don't show the result, use that as an opportunity to improve whatever it is, improve the work, improve the performance, improve the program or the process. And I think that's what drives some of the fear is, you know, that it's, it's, that it's punitive. If it's a negative ROI, they're going to kill my program and me along with it, right? And that's not what that culture of accountability is about. Culture of accountability is about demonstrating value for the resources expended on the different types of work going on and the projects. That's accountability, but there's also accountability to the people involved in that company or that organization. And that is, we're going to listen to you. We want to see how you're doing, the results you're driving. And if you're not delivering, then we as the leaders are going to work with you to see if we can't help you drive even greater results. Now, eventually, if it's a performance issue, that's a different conversation. But when we look at outcomes, we're looking at the outcomes to see how the results look, but we also want to take advantage of that information to say, now that we have some objective data, we can really make some change to the process, the program, the environment in which they're working. 
So it's a commitment to improve as opposed to a commitment to criticize. So in the ultimate of feed forward. And while it may mean we kill that project, we're going to kill it for very good reasons, not for political reasons. Exactly. That's it. All right. So, uh, yeah, I think an awful lot of people are afraid of doing these metrics because they're afraid of abandoning a pet thing, a pet project, a pet idea, a pet whatever. And they think if I can just give it one more year, month, quarter, it'll generate some value. But I think your argument would be it's better to know where you really stand today to get alignment and to ask clearly, does this have the potential to lead? Does it need more investment or is it going to not give us the kind of impacts that we're looking for? Exactly. Yes. Okay. All right. So ROI methodology now needs to become how I set my year in performance objectives, which I think is a challenge for everybody on the call to think about the, um, Reaction, learning, action, and impact you want to have out of the objective you just put as your end of year objective. I think that would be a really good starting point. And then followed by how metrics will, what metrics will show me that I'm getting there. Okay. Jack, any last piece of advice from you? Betty, you want to start? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. What's your advice? I'll go. I, first is think about the accountability, the culture of accountability in my organization. Uh, does it think this way? Is it, does the culture support this? If not, I think I would want it to, because this is about getting results, not being mean, not being unfair, but just making sure that we are using our resources appropriately. And and this is a structure that works quite well. It's based on a logic model that's been around since the 1800s, and it's tried and proven so well in so many organizations, it is now the most used evaluation system in the world. It's, it'll, it will do it. It will do what you need it to be. But don't be afraid to, to embrace it. Think about it and implement it. It'll make a big difference. Patty, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So it was just something to remember is the value that we want to demonstrate tomorrow depends on what we create, the value we create today. Doing the upfront work is so important. It seems like a burden to people, but the better we are at defining what we're trying to do, set that intentionality. This is what we're going for and the value of doing it and then delivering that value, setting it up up front. While it takes a lot of work, it makes demonstrating that value on the back end much easier and it get, you have better work. It's more fun because now you know why you're doing what you're doing. I love it. My guests today, Patty and Jack Phillips, the book that we've been talking about, show the value of what you do. If you'd like either of the case studies or to reach out to them, it's jack at roiinstitute.net or patty, P-A-T-T-I at roiinstitute.net. Thank you for a great show. Join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.